We're going to read from God's Word. This is from 1 Corinthians chapter 1. I'm going to read a little bit of the passage that Pastor Niles will be breaking down for us later in the service. Starting in verse 18, the Bible says that the message of the cross is foolish for those who are headed for destruction. But we who are being saved know it is the very power of God. And as the scriptures say, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and discard the intelligence of the intelligent. So where does this leave the philosophers, the scholars, and the world's brilliant debaters? God has made the wisdom of this world look foolish. Since God in his wisdom saw to it that the world would never know him through human wisdom, he has used our foolish preaching to save those who believe. The world thinks that the message of the cross is foolish. But for those who are perishing, we know that, or for those who are saved, we know that it's the power of God. He says, it's foolish to the Jews who ask for signs from heaven, and it is foolish to the Greeks who seek human wisdom. So when we preach that Christ was crucified, the Jews are offended, and the Gentiles say that this is all nonsense. But to those called by God to salvation, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. This foolish plan of God is wiser than the wisest of human plans, and God's weakness is stronger than the greatest of human strength. Now here's where Pastor Niles' passage will pick up. Remember, dear brothers and sisters, that few of you were wise in the world's eyes and powerful or wealthy when God called you. Instead, God chose the things that this world considers foolish in order to shame those who think that they are wise. And he chose things that are powerless to shame those who are powerful. God chose things despised by the world, things counted as nothing, and used them to bring nothing what the world considers important. As a result, no one can ever boast in the presence of God. God has united you with Christ Jesus. For our benefit, God made him to be wisdom itself. Christ made us right with God. He made us pure and holy, and he's freed us from sin. Therefore, as the scriptures say, if you want to boast, boast only about the Lord. That's who we're going to lift up today. Will you pray with me as we begin our service? Father, we recognize that, that you are supreme, you have all authority, and Lord, you are the rightful King of kings and Lord of lords. And we, we want to recognize your position this morning, not ours. And Lord, in the midst of, of recognizing that, we, we want to humble ourselves before you and ask that you'd speak into our lives, help us to grow in our walk with you, help us to see areas that you want to work on. We invite your Holy Spirit to work into our lives. And Lord, the wisdom of the world and all the distractions and things that can enter into our mind, we ask that you'd shut that off and help us to tune in into the wisdom that is above all wisdom in Jesus Christ. We tune in to you. And we pray for your spirit to guide us and lead us as we worship you. And we lift up LifeGate as they are wrapping up their service. And Pastor Niles and Joan making their way over. Bless their travels. And Lord, fill him with what you want to share with us today. And we ask for this in Jesus' name. Amen. My, uh, my text this morning has already been shared with you. It's from 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and in verse uh, 26. And, and really, I just want to read verse 26 to you again as a reminder of what we're talking about here. And, and, 
and ministering about the people that God can use. People that God can use. In fact, I should say it this way, the people that God will use. He will use. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 26, it just simply says, For you see your calling, brethren, that not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. One more phrase down there. But God has called the, the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. Have you noticed that God, have you noticed this, that God has uh, a very different system of measuring just about everything? Uh, throughout the Bible, we find God using imperfect people for the sake of his mission. I notice that he usually does not necessarily call the rich, the popular, uh, the highly successful to his ministry. You know, and, and God's not against those people either. He's certainly not against them at all. But so often he uses poor, broken, but always faithful people. When God finds a faithful person, no matter how, what kind of background that they may be uh, involved in or, or have been in or any of these things or how much money they've got in their bank account or how much education they've got, God finds a way to use those kinds of people. Those are people that oftentimes can climb the, the steepest ladder and can overcome the greatest obstacles in life. And he uses them. And we're going to share with you a few examples along the way uh, in this message. But understand something, that God loves us in such a way that he gave his only son. And that was for every person here, regardless of who you are. There's, God gave Christ regardless of who you are. And that's the, 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 the incredibleness, the, the, the expanse of the, of the love of God. You might consider yourself imperfect or insignificant. And you may even think to yourself, well, I'm the perfect nobody. Think about that one for a moment. But God still has loved you. God has still cared for you. God is calling you. God calls us, each one of us. And he created you in such a unique manner for a very special purpose. Addison, for instance, <clears throat> we have no clue what's going, how Addison is going to, where, you know, what she's going to be when she's 14 or 18 or 22 or anything. And believe me, Grace, that's going to come faster than you think. It really will. We have no clue. But guess what? God does. God knows all about it. God sees her future. He sees her future. And the greatest thing that we can do and, and, and what Grace can do for her daughter is the fact to, to be able to guide and lead her in the ways and the pathways of God. And as you do that, God begins to develop. God begins to unfold his amazing plans in her lives. I've heard these words before, and maybe these are words that perhaps you've even spoken. Oh, not me. God can never use me. And that's said way too often in his church. God can never use me. And I'm thinking of defeat and despair. And the only time, listen, the only time God can't use you is when you're dead. That's it. Think about that one. Maybe you don't believe me, but here's some examples from the Bible 
<coughs> excuse me, see if you don't recognize a few of them along the way. Abraham was old, and God used him. Jay, uh, Moses had a stuttering problem. God used him to be a deliverer. Gideon was so frightened that he took up refuge in a broken down old wine press in the back 40 so that the Midianites would see him. And God said, you know what God said to him, to Gideon? This is the guy that was scared to death, hiding out in a wine. God says, oh, mighty man of valor. And Gideon had to say, who, me? Yeah, you're the only one in here, right, Gideon? Yeah, you're the one. And I'm going to use you. I'm going to make you the judge over this entire nation. In fact, not only that, I'm going to drive these Midianites out and you're going to help me. That's who God chose. Samson was a womanizer. Enough said. Jacob was a cheater. Jeremiah claimed, I'm too young to be used by God. God said, don't ever say that again, Jeremiah, because I'm going to use you. In fact, I'm going to use you such extensively, you're going to write 50 chapters of one of the longest prophetic books in the Bible. I'm going to use you. Peter denied Jesus three times, and yet he was the principal spokesman on the day of Pentecost. Zacchaeus was a small little guy and money hungry, and God changed his life. Paul persecuted Christians, and then he became a Christian. In fact, Paul says this in Romans chapter 8 and verse 28. We know that in all things God works for good for those who love him and have been called according to his purpose. Now listen to me. There's a couple things that really stand out of this verse. I want to pop them out for you. Those who love him. I love God. Don't you? I love God. I really love him. Now listen to this. Who have been called according to his purpose. Somebody in here surely is probably thinking, well, I haven't been called. Well, I'm going to interrupt your thing. You have been called. God has a purpose for our lives. God doesn't just sort of wind us up and say, here, go, go ahead and scoot down the road and see whatever happens. There's purpose that is built into every one of our lives. And God says, I've called you to that purpose. I don't know what it is for your life, but I'll tell you what, God does. And if you begin to ask him, if you'll begin to simply ask him in prayer, if you'll ask him in just simple childlike faith, I guarantee you, God will reveal it to you. This is your purpose. This is your calling and how it's going to work. Listen to me carefully. Jesus used a bunch of flawed people, flawed people, to share hope to a flawed world. And everybody around us, folks, in our communities, there's plenty of flaws. There's plenty of people. And God says, I'm going to use these flawed people that I have redeemed that I have transformed by the power of my Holy Spirit. And I'm going to take these redeemed people, transformed, empowered by the Spirit, and I'm going to impact these flawed people all around Faith Community Church. That's how I'm going to do it. 
Remember, no matter what you've been through in life, the same power that conquered the grave for Jesus Christ is also living in you. And if that power can pull Jesus Christ, a man who is dead, out of a grave into res resurrection life, then he can do that in your life too. Your life isn't over. Your life isn't dead. Your life is not inconsequential or any other thing. No matter what you've done, no matter what you've been through, no matter what you've said, no matter whether you've accomplished anything or you've never accomplished a thing in your life, God can work in your life and he does want to work in your life and that he will use you for his divine purposes. Here's some three reasons. I've got three reasons. I, I think there are far more than just these three. In fact, I'm certain of it, but I, I kind of singled out three reasons why people feel they cannot be used of God. First of all, and I think this is bigger than we think. First of all, your past sin still lingers in your mind. And it, and it makes you believe that somehow, somehow you are unacceptable to God for God's use. Now, I'm referring to sins that have been confessed and have been forgiven by God. They've been confessed, and it is, listen to me, it is Satan who dredges these up out of my past, out of my, my, my memory, and all of these things. He's the one that dredges them up, brings them before me, and then whispers into my ear his lie that says, you're not good enough. You are disqualified because of this or this or this. Now listen to me. Let's go to the word and disarm this thing and kick it out and de demolish it. Satan is a liar. He is the father of lies. And believe me, in your life, he loves to hit replay and then hit play. Do you remember this? Do you remember this? Do you remember this? And all of these things. How bad would it have been for Peter? A guy who denied Jesus within a, within a short stone's throw from Jesus, his best friend, facing trial before these, uh, these ungodly religious leaders. He says, I don't even know this guy. Nope, never met him. I have nothing to do with him. And the moment that Jesus needed a friend, his friend bailed on him. Do you think that will be replayed in Peter's mind a few times? Do you think that when Jesus came to Peter and said, Peter, you're going to, uh, you're, I, you're going to, I'm going to have you minister on the day of Pentecost. And thousands are going to come to Christ. And in John chapter 21, the words, Peter, do you love me more than these? Three times. There was a purpose there. And that was the restoration process of Simon Peter, who became on that day, I'm convinced, the rock that God always wanted him to be. Isaiah chapter 43, verse 25 says it this way. Yes, I alone am the one who blots out your sin for my own sake. Listen, underline this in your Bible. And I will never think of them again. That's God speaking. 
Isaiah chapter 44, just a page over. I have swept away your sins like the morning mists. I have scattered your offense like the clouds, and I have paid the price to set you free. The word of God, expressing how God views the sin that you have confessed and that he has forgiven, let it go, because it's done. Number two, I believe that there are some people who have sort of a martyr complex. Let me explain it this way. It goes something like this. I'm no good. I'm too old. I'm not good looking. I'm broke. I have nothing to offer. These are the martyr complex people. They're coming up with these crazy excuses. The worst of all, the very worst, the very worst of all, is I don't believe God can use me. And that's a slam against God. Think about that. Somebody just said, God, I don't think you're big enough to use me. Oh my goodness. You should go to Job chapter 38, 39, and where Job gets taken out into the woodshed by God himself. And God starts saying, listen, Job, where were you? Where were you when I laid the foundations of this thing? What were you doing on the day that we measured out? the universe. If you have so much to say, what were you doing? How do I keep the clouds and the stars in a proper orbit? Why don't you tell me how I do that? Thankfully, I think it's in chapter 40, Job finally says he, I, I could just visualize Job, he goes like this, I don't think I should say anything else. Smart man, Job is a smart guy. <laughs> Do not insult God by saying, I don't believe God can use me. You are simply limiting God. God wants to take ordinary people, do extraordinary things in their life. I want to go back to the Bible for a second here. Rahab. Doubt if you're going to invite Rahab into the women's conference in November, but uh, she saved the lives of two Hebrew spies who were just absolutely instrumental in the collapse of Jericho. The widow of Zarephath, who had nothing, nothing, fed Elijah the last morsels of bread in her house. And God put her in the bread and oil business. The little boy that was out there listening to Jesus one day, and there were thousands listening to Jesus, and Jesus turns to Philip and says, Philip, let's, let's feed this gigantic, massive crowd. Philip says, we don't have anybody. But there is a little boy here. He brought his lunch. It's five loaves and two fishes. Jesus said, let's do something with that. Something so little, something so minuscule, something that was for a little boy having something at dinner time. And they fed 5,000 people and had all enough leftovers to fill 12 baskets. That's what Jesus does. God delights in using people, oftentimes, who think they have little or nothing to give. Look again at Gideon. We've already talked about him. How about Ruth? Ruth the widow. Ruth the widow was gleaning in the, kind of the corners and the edges of the field. She met Boaz, and guess what happened? She owned the field. She owned it. David was a shepherd boy. And God called him to be a king, and sure enough, he became the king. Esther was an orphan. 
she became a queen. Matthew the tax collector became Matthew the disciple. Cornelius was a member of an occupying army. And God got a hold of his life and saved Cornelius and filled him with the mighty Holy Spirit. And Cornelius becomes a follower of Christ. Saul, the church persecutor, became Paul, who wrote 13 out of the 27 books of the New Testament. John started out in ministry and deserted the whole thing. This was too tough for me. But something happened. Because at the end of Paul's life, he said, bring John Mark, he's useful. Let me tell you, there's, there's stories all over this church, all over this congregation, of people who at one time were virtually useless. And then God got a hold of your life. And God transformed your life. God renewed in your life. God put strength in your life and purpose in your life. And today... God's using your life in very special ways, wonderful ways, incredible ways. That's what God does. That's what God does when he, when he just really grabs hold of somebody's life and works that way. There's another reason why some people try to excuse themselves by being used from God is that they see themselves, this is sort of akin to the last one, but they see themselves as totally inadequate. The Bible says each of us have been given special abilities and often these are referred to as spiritual gifts. <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> spiritual gifts. There are three lists of spiritual gifts in the, in, the, uh, in the New Testament. And in Romans chapter 12 and verse 6, I want to turn over there real quick. Just in Romans chapter 12, verse, verse number 6, I want to read something to you that's important for every one of us in this room. Beginning in verse 6, it says... Then having gifts differing according to the grace that is given us, let us use them. If prophecy, then let us prophesy in the proportion of our faith. Or ministry, let us use it in our ministry. He who teaches in teaching, he who exhorts in exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, and one who shows mercy with cheerfulness. You know what? We need all of those gifts at Faith Community Church. Every one of them. Every one of them. There are people here with great gifts of mercy. And you can reach out to people that have hurt and pain in their life and brokenness. And you can surround them with, your, with amazing care, with, with loving kindness, all of these things. There are people here that don't have that gift of mercy, and we're not very good at that. We just fumble it. We just, we're just not good. But there are gifts of people here that, who can teach, who can share the word, who can, who can, who can unfold the, these timeless truths and separate them out and show us how they apply and work in our lives. All of these things, amazing things that God does. And that's why this church is so important, because God brings these gifts together. He melds them together. And it creates, a, a, I think, just a, an amazing force that the Spirit of God uses in some powerful ways. In Acts chapter 2, two giants of the faith, Peter and John, were walking through Jerusalem, and they passed by a lame man. Folks, this lame man had only one purpose in his life, and that was to beg for money. That's it. He was a lame man. 
He'd been lame for, we estimate, probably virtually all of his life. But a lame man, you can picture this, can't you? A lame man sitting on the sidewalk begging for money. And Peter and John walks by. He wants money from them too. Nobody was exempt. And Peter and John said just, just amazing words. He says, we don't have any silver and gold. But what we do have is in the name of Jesus. And Peter and John reached down to that guy who had been lame, laying there, humiliated begging for money, took his hand, pulled him up, and the man walked, and the man jumped, the man ran. Do you think for a moment, I think that, that obviously he called one of the biggest stirs in the city. Everybody had been by this guy. Everybody had seen this old beggar. And now he is healed by the amazing, miraculous power of God. And the story goes on. The story goes on. At the bottom line, God has a history of choosing, listen to me carefully, God, God has a history of choosing messy people with problems. They feel unqualified. Well, guess again, God's strength and his power trumps my weaknesses every time. And he overcomes everything that I don't have. Let me share with you three things. We can get more mileage out of our life. I think everybody would want to hear this. Three things that can give you more mileage out of your life. First of all, it's really simple. These are just falling off the chair simple. Very simple. The first one, make a decision to roll up your sleeves and determine to go to work. I swear to you people, there are people out here in our world today that could be incredibly successful, but they're so doggone lazy. And they just won't go to work. And you wonder, what's wrong with you people? There's an amazing force of energy and power and entrepreneurialism and everything else that you can think of. I just won't go to work. You're not going to get anywhere if you don't go to work. I think I've told you this before, but about uh, probably three or four years after I <clears throat> left Bible college, I'd already pastored a church, and I'm two years into planting a church. And for what reason, I can't remember the reason, I was in Springfield, Missouri, and I walked into, uh, I was speaking on our campus, and uh, I walked through the uh, little tiny student lounge, it was just kind of a little thing, and here were three guys that, I had, that I'd been in Bible school with. As a matter of fact, they graduated with me. I said, hey, what's, what's going on in your life? Don't get upset when I do it this way. Dom, we're waiting on the will of God for our life. What? It takes you three years to figure out the will of God for your life? Have you guys been sleeping? No, we've been out mowing the lawn at the Bible college. Is that really what God called you to do after four years and a degree? You're mowing the lawn? 
My goodness sakes, there are places that need pastors. There are people that need to be evangelized. There are countries that need missionaries. And you're standing here waiting on the will of God. Don't any of you email me this week and say that it's mean-spirited. Because I'm going to tell you something. I don't have the gift of mercy, so there. <laughs> See? really not my problem actually it's somebody else's problem it really is okay second thing I'm not used to looking at the big clock there's nothing on the screen so I gotta look at the big clock whatever God is calling us to do do it as unto the Lord I had to learn that lesson many times over because sometimes the things that God called me to do, I start griping about a little bit. And I, I kind of whine about it. And I was, you know, it's kind of like I've got some pride here, you know, and I think I'm a little better than this. Anybody resonate with that? You don't have to raise your hands. Okay, go ahead, raise your hands. <laughs> no. And you know what God does? Every time I do that, God takes me to Corinth, uh, Colossians chapter 3, and I think it's verse 23, which simply says, whatever your hand finds to do, do it as unto the Lord. And it's like, see? I told you to do this, then do it. And do it well. I have a theory, folks, and I'm going to share it with you just super briefly. Real theory. Learn to do excellent things in small places and God will promote you to bigger places. That's true. Except for me. I got promoted to a smaller place. We're always learning. We're always, this is a do-over. Third, don't start looking for some kind of better roses for serving Jesus and this Christian life. The will of God, sometimes people think the will of God is really the easy street. It'll be smooth sailing and everything else. Talk to Paul about that one. Read 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Paul says, man, I've been beaten three times. I've been shipwrecked a few times. I've been thrown overboard. I've been left for dead. I don't know how many times. I've been, they've even tried to stone me. That doesn't sound like a bed of roses to me. And yet Paul was exactly in the center of God's will at every moment of his life. And following the direction and the course that God had marked out for him, no better roses. I think of a Jewish young lady named Esther. And through a series of circumstances became the queen of the entire Persian Empire. I don't think that's exactly what Esther thought her life was going to be. But in the course of that, her uncle Mordecai said this, who can say that God has brought you to a place for such a time as this? And Esther was able to save the entire Jewish nation. I only met this man one time, and it's been several years ago. His name is Victor Plymeyer. Victor Plymeyer was a pioneer missionary, one of the very first people to be able to go into the closed nation of Tibet. He worked 
14 years in Tibet and had one convert. But he never quit. He never stopped. And now that field has opened up and people are coming to Christ all over that difficult nation of Tibet. Some time ago, and this has been, I, I'm guessing a couple years ago probably, Joan and I were in West Des Moines. We stopped in McDonald's this mid-afternoon. We're going to have an iced tea or a coffee or ice cream or something. We're sitting in there. It's summertime. Two young men. Two young men rode up on bicycles. Black pants, white shirt, tie. And they walked in to McDonald's. They were Mormon missionaries. I'm using that as a model and say, what if I were to say, I'm not good enough to be used for God's service. I don't know what to say. I don't have much money. God can never use me. So are we saying, let the Mormons do it? I don't think so. As I tell you what, there's not one person in this room, and I don't care whether you say, I, Pastor, I don't even know what to say. I honestly don't. I honestly don't. I believe that God, because his word guarantees us, he will give you the words to say when you're being confronted with that need. He'll literally give you the words. And you may stumble through it. You may fumble this thing up. I'm telling you, God is so great and so big, he can take your fumbled up mess of a testimony and make it sound like the sweetest music in the ears of a hungry person. He does it all the time. He does it all the time. Isaiah chapter 6 is a phenomenal moment in the, uh, in the Bible. A young person who many people think was probably a teenager, maybe 15, 16, 17 years old. A, a young person who really loved God, though. And the Bible says he was in the temple on the Lord's day. And all of a sudden, this amazing vision of God appeared to this young person. And young Isaiah absolutely fell on his face before God. He says, I, I, I'm a person of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of unclean people. But God said this, who will go for me? And Isaiah said, here am I. Send me. I'm giving you a blank check. You write in the amount. You put in the place. You give me the location. You tell me what it is that you want me to do, and I'll do it. 
Janet, would you uh, return, please? Let me tell you something. This is how I see the church. I think the church, God created the church to be a safe haven for all kinds of people, and that includes those messy people. That includes people who make mistakes. That includes people who make bad decisions. That includes people who just fell flat on their face. And it's the church that will reach to that person at the lowest, perhaps, point in their life and lift them up and declare to them, looking right into their face, a face of defeat, of discouragement, of sin, of anything you can think of, and say, God has something so much better for you. Let's find out what it is. I'll help you. I'll walk with you. The church is a place of acceptance, but it's also a training center for people who want to learn how to figure out even what their abilities are, how to use them, and be kind of a team that's a missions team, literally a missions team that's whose, whose immediate responsibilities are the people living right around the place. That's what the church is. And I believe that God would love to hear people right here at Faith Community Church simply say, Lord, I'll go. And you can count on me. You can count on me. I'm not going to tell you when I say, you know what, this is a big church. And sometimes we hear this. We say, you know, would you teach a, a little kid's class? And can I tell you what we hear? And I'm not trying to make fun of anybody. It says, well, I'll pray about it. You come back a week later, I'm still praying about it. You come back three weeks later, I'm still praying about it. And I'm going to tell you right out, I'm good. No, you're not. You're not either. Let me tell you something. The need, the need is the will of God. Take a step. Wouldn't it be something if God had come up and speak to one of our guys here this morning? Maybe a guy that's just not doing anything. You show up to church, you're faithful, you give your tithes, all that stuff, and you're a good person, but you don't do anything. And say, I want you to do something. I want you to teach that preschool class. Will you do it? Why not take that step of faith? This is how it works. See? Here, let me, let me do that one more time. There, see? Do we need a demonstrator? It really is that way. Russ Weller has a degree from Buena University in business. And eight years ago, in October, he's speaking to a handful of teenagers. And I said, Russ, I want to talk to you for a minute. Let's sit down at the picnic table. And I said, God, I think God wants you to be our youth pastor. And I know what he said. And I said, oh, well, you know, long about Thursday, why don't you give me a call? And if you say, no way, Jose, fine. But if you want to talk about it some more, let me know. He called. Let's talk about it. 
There he is. He took a step of faith right out of something that he was very comfortable in business. He understood the business world. He, you know, he was, he was equipped and set up for that. Didn't know all that much about the ministry world, but here he is. In about six weeks, he's going to be your interim pastor, so you better start treating him nice. <laughs> Let's stand, shall we? Lord, I'll go, and you can count on me. You know what? You can turn this church upside down, and you'll turn this community up, upside down with just that one phrase. Lord, I'll go, and you can count on me. It will really happen. Pray with me. Father, we thank you so much for the eternal word of God because I believe this word talks to us. I believe this word speaks deep into the hearts of people, deep into their lives. Father, you have a great love for all of humanity, far eclipsing any expression of love that we can make ourselves. And so, Father, I pray that you're going to also Help us to love our neighbors, our friends, the people that are living around us. Help us to be that witness. Help us to be that person that you are going to use. Not just somebody that walks into church and a good person, but I mean, you're going to employ them. You're going to mobilize through that person. And Father, you're going to touch in a far greater way in our community than ever before. So, Father, we thank you for that. We're so grateful. Father, I want to pray for people here this morning that, you know, for one reason or another, you may be here and this may be your first time or maybe you've been here a lot. But something struck you this morning about maybe it came through the music or the word and you realize you really need to get in step with Christ. I really need to get in step with what God is doing. And that first step is that I need to ask for forgiveness of my sin and truly know Jesus Christ as the Savior and Lord of my life. Father, I'm going to ask that you cause these people to pray with me right now. Very simple prayer. Very, very incredibly simple. Dear Jesus, I admit that I'm a sinner and I can't save myself. I ask Jesus to come into my heart and truly take control of my life. Be the Lord of all every bit of it. I believe Jesus died for me and that he rose from the dead. Today, I simply confess him as the Savior and the Lord of my life. Father, we thank you for good things that are happening. Thank you for what you've done this morning. Thank you for transformation in lives. And Father, we submit ourselves to you in the name of Jesus. Amen.